You're, you're probably uh, got something on, in the oven, or you're waiting to get to that favorite restaurant that for some reason is open on Christmas Eve. Um, I don't know but, about you, but I'm excited. Uh, today is... Tonight is Christmas Eve. Today is Christmas Eve, and, and families all over the world tonight are going to gather together. Maybe you've been gathering already a bit. Maybe you've got plans this afternoon or tonight, um, but they're going to gather together, and they're going to do something that Christians have been doing for centuries, and that is celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Christmas is a unique time of year. We don't do uh, any other holiday like we do Christmas. And, and while it comes with lots of trappings, it comes with uh, songs, lots of wonderful songs. It comes with uh, the, you know, the songs on the radio too. I enjoy those too. And it, enjoys, uh, it comes with all the Christmas movies, all these things. It comes with gifts and it comes with Christmas trees and garland and lights and all that fun stuff. Uh, the reason is, is because it's a time for people to remember the hope and the joy and the peace that we find in Christ Amen. the night that he was born. You know, that moment that, that these children just uh, read for us and shared with us, that moment changed everything, Amen. everything. And it truly was a holy night. And I, uh, we've been kind of looking at some uh, songs of the season, and this morning we're going to look at, oh, holy night. You know, everyone has their favorite Christmas carol. Maybe this is yours, I don't know. But uh, just think about the beauty of this song, and we're going to sing it in a little bit here, but just think about the, the, that first verse. The, listen to the, the lyrics of that first verse. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. You know, maybe just hearing those familiar lyrics, you can feel the beauty that was in that night, the glory of that night. And I want to share some brief thoughts about it. The first thought I want to share with you is that this song that I love tells a story. Uh, and, it, and it tells a vivid story. It it's, it's, describes a setting. It describes events that are momentous. Uh, and, and, and it's the same story that we just heard from Luke chapter 2 and from Micah 5, 2 and from John 1 and from Isaiah 9. It's the same story. Think about how it's describing things. It says that, uh, that it's nighttime. Oh, holy night. And the stars are brightly shining. It's dark, but the, the sky is clear. Uh, the night is when the Savior is born. This, this is the night when the Savior is born. You see, the Israelite people had been waiting for a long time. They'd been uh, uh, waiting for, a moment, for this moment for as long as any of them could remember. The arrival of the Messiah meant for them that they were about to be rescued. Now, many of you who are Bible students and are maybe have been members of this church for long enough to, to visit and hear our preaching and talking about this, you might realize that the Israelite people were looking uh, for a, a Messiah, a Savior that was going to liberate them from political bondage. But this Savior, Jesus, this true Messiah, he would deliver them from bondage that they couldn't deliver themselves, on their, uh, themselves from, the bondage of sin. 
He would bring, bring greater peace than any kind of political or, or circumstantial peace that we can experience. He would bring that peace that passes all understanding that Paul was writing about in Philippians 4 verse 7. Uh, peace that comes even in times of oppression. Peace that comes even when times are difficult. And not just for the Israelites, for us. For us here. When we experience oppression, when we experience difficult circumstances, Christ has come to bring you and me peace. Praise the Lord. The world has long been waiting. Uh, Long lay the world in sin and error. The world had been waiting for a long time. And and, and look at how it's described in sin and in error, pining. Y'all know what sin and error is. Maybe do y'all, how many of y'all know what pining is? It has nothing to do with trees, okay? Sin and error pining, they were, they were thirsty for relief. They were aching for relief from the darkness that they were in. I mean, and, and that darkness is described, oh, holy night, it's dark. Yeah, the stars are shining, but this world had been laying in darkness. That darkness ever since the beginning when, when Adam and Eve uh, rejected the counsel of God and chose to do what they thought was right and sinned and brought in the sin and destruction into this world and the curse, the, the world had been laying in darkness and they're aching. The world is aching for relief. The world is still aching, by the way, for relief, but Christ has brought it. He brought it to those of us who trust in him and he will bring it once again and to completion. And then it says, till he appeared. Oh, aching, yearning for relief, and then Jesus appears and brings it. And then I I think the words that are put here are interesting, and the soul felt its worth. I'm going to chase a couple of rabbit trails this morning, Uh, really short ones, okay? But have you ever thought about what that means, until the soul felt its worth? What does that mean? You know, uh, many of you who are longtime Christians may even believe that, you know, on your own, you're pretty worthless. I mean, in reality, uh, it seems that way because we're, we are sinful people. We, uh, bef- standing before God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Um, uh, but the reality isn't, that's not the reality. You're worth something. You know, uh, uh, my boys are way into... Uh, cars right now. And I, rem- I went through a period of that. I'm still kind of in that period, I guess. I love cars. I don't have any money for cars, but I love cars. And uh, I was thinking about, you know, how much people, sometimes, have you ever watched any of these Meekum auctions? Uh, we used to have the Speed Network uh, when, when we lived in Bedford, and I loved to watch those Meekum auctions. And they'd roll out some old car, and, and sometimes it would be a car that I thought, maybe I can afford, and yeah, maybe I could, because it was just a few thousand dollars at the end. Of course, it was a busted up piece of junk. But uh, then they would roll out something, though, that was beyond my reach. And then someone would pay this crazy amount of money. One of the most uh, uh, iconic cars from movie history is that uh, that Ferrari. Remember from from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I don't remember the year. I think it was a 1965 Ferrari GT California, beautiful sports car. Do you know uh, that car is so famous? There's so few of them that are actually uh, the, that are that are not clones that. They, uh, if, if you want to buy one, you better have millions upon millions to buy one. 
But think about that, how crazy that is. This, this is just a hunk of steel and different metals that have been formed into this car. It's not even really the fastest car on the road. It doesn't have the greatest performance. It doesn't handle like the, it probably doesn't handle as good as a, you know, your Corolla, okay? But, but people will pay millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Why? Because they see worth in such a vehicle. Uh, There's tons of things we could talk about like this. Uh, uh, Famous documents that are just written on simple paper that are worth these documents. The the Declaration of Independence is is a priceless artifact, yet it's just paper and ink. But if they were to sell it, I can't imagine what circumstances would cause uh, such a thing to happen, but it would be priceless. It's unbelievable what kind of... It might be in the... Hundreds of millions, I have no idea. But if you think about this, when it says, and the soul felt its worth, well, if something is worth what someone is willing to pay for it, think about what Christ paid for you. If you're here this morning and you've ever thought that, man, I'm just worthless, I'm not of any worth, I'm not of any use to anybody, I probably shouldn't even be here. That'd make everybody else happy. Let me tell you, that's wrong. That's a lie. That's a lie. You're worth far more. And that has been demonstrated through this Savior, through Jesus Christ. The soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope and the weary world rejoices. I, I, there's another reference to how the world has been suffering. And, and when I hear that, the thrill of hope, the, uh, uh, or excuse me, the weary world has a reason to rejoice, I, I can't help but think of uh, Romans 8, chapter, uh, chap, uh, Romans chapter 8, 18 and 20 through 22, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but out of reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know now that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Listen, this is what's being described. This weary world is pining, and, and, but now as Christ has been born, they have a reason to rejoice, and we have every reason to rejoice here this morning. Amen. We have every reason for y'all to get excited about uh, this excited preacher's words and go, yeah, amen, woo, okay? No, you don't have to do that, but uh, it wouldn't hurt you if you did, okay? Why? Why is there a reason to rejoice? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Oh man, the world had been in darkness for as long as they could remember. And now there's a sunrise that means new beginning, new life, new hope, and hope that is lasting this new and glorious morn. What a beautiful picture this is painting. Man, that glory uh, that, that would be revealed in us that Paul wrote about in Romans 8, 18. For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's the Savior and His work in us. I better keep going. Are you all going to have to say, well, you said you were going to get us out of here early. 
What about number two, my second thought here? This this song doesn't only just tell a beautiful story. It introduces new new paradigms. How many of y'all like that word? I like that word paradigm. I tried to search for a a good word, um, and this is the one I settled on. Paradigm is a framework, okay? The definition is a, is a framework containing basic assumptions or ways of thinking or shared methodologies. And it's the same term with which we use the term paradigm shift, okay? And you can imagine what that might be. It's a dramatic shift in a way of thinking, basic assumptions, and shared methodologies. You know, a really good example uh, I, can, I could find was the shift from geocentrism to heliocentrism. And you're like, you're probably sitting there thinking, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. Yeah, whenever. No, okay. Geocentrism is the idea that the whole of, un- of the universe revolves around this earth, this planet. And that is what most people believed for much of the modern age up until the, uh, the 17th century, I think, and, uh, and until a couple of guys came along like Copernicus and Galileo, and they introduced the idea of heliocentrism, which was uh, that instead of the whole universe revolving around this planet Earth, uh, that this planet Earth is just part of a solar system that revolves around one single sun, our sun, uh, but that it's just uh, one system among many pretty huge shift uh, in thinking. I mean, think about how that would change your worldview. And so what are these new paradigms? I, I, we're going to sing verse 3. We're going to sing verse 1 and 3 here in a little while. And so we're going to look at verse 3. Uh, look in, listen to these words. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy. In grateful chorus, raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. This is about as, some of these shifts that it's, these paradigm shifts that it's talking about are some of the uh, most radical paradigm shifts that have ever occurred in history. And all of them are absolutely biblical. Think about the first one. Truly he taught us to love one another. Uh, Maybe if you're a cynic in here, you thought, well, uh, are you saying that nobody loved one another before this? But like kids, parents didn't love their kids. No, it's not saying that. What it's saying is that Jesus taught us true love. And he not only taught it to us, he demonstrated it for us. He, he, he demonstrated true, sacrificial, and selfless, selfless love. Love that is not focused on what you can get for yourself. Love that is not focused on your own glory and your own uh, self-aggrandizement. Love that is just for the glorifying God and, and showing his love to others. And then it says, it goes on to say, his law is love. Think about that. God's law for you and me is love. Uh, uh, John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give unto you. Listen, this, these words come directly from Scripture. He says, a new commandment, a new law I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But this shall all men know that you are my, uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Listen, that is his law. We're to love one another. Uh, whenever you have those, uh, those uh, we have, in our house we call them wormy thoughts or stinking thinking about each other. 
When, when, you, when you have the wormy thoughts or the stinking thinking in your head, boy, you need to cast those out because, listen, uh, Jesus' law is love. And then it says what? That his gospel is peace. Y'all know what gospel is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a bunch of groups who sing uh, loud music. Gospel. No. What does gospel mean? Good news. Hey, this is the good news. His good news that he brought is peace. Peace. This might be the greatest paradigm shift in all of history. I mean, we're talking about an entire system of eternal justice going from works to, to grace. Uh, for all time, uh, that, that before Jesus had arrived on the scene, people had believed they had to do works to try to uh, to, to be forgiven before God. Of course, there were many who uh, throughout the Old Testament we see had faith and, and God loved them and, and we believe they're in heaven because, uh, because of their faith, not because of their works. But listen, the, the world system was well at work and they believed that works was the way to salvation. And the transition from works to grace has not been a smooth transition. You know, the transition between a, a geocentrism and heliocentrism wasn't a smooth transition either. Uh, the guy, uh, uh, Galileo, was imprisoned for the remainder of his life by the Roman Catholic government because of his idea of heliocentrism. They called him a heretic. It wasn't a smooth transition. And it's been the same for this idea that, <coughs> that, uh, that uh, we can trust in Jesus Christ and just our faith in him will save us from our sins because he's done all the need all that needs to be done to save us it hasn't been smooth you know Jesus disciples have been martyred for repeatedly for that belief of salvation by faith alone for hundreds of years since it occurred. These disciples, many of these guys uh, that we read their books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, these guys, they all died as martyrs. But they weren't just the first ones, and they weren't the last ones. There's still people that are dying for this faith and this belief. And his gospel is peace. We're talking about a new kind of peace. We already talked a little bit about that. Peace, true peace, not the fleeting peace that we get here on earth, like when my boys finally go to sleep and the peace that Melissa got to experience when they're finally asleep and it's quiet. No, that's fleeting peace. It didn't last very long. I'm talking about peace that lasts, peace that passes all understanding, the peace that Jesus gives us. Man, it's wonderful peace. The peace that we find in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace now with Who? God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. How? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you how. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. There's that paradigm shift. Lest any man should boast. It began on this holy night. Or Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. For after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which, is, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. How do you receive that washing of regeneration? How do you, how do you uh, be saved through his mercy? How do you experience his kindness and love? It says in Romans 10, 13, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, you just got to depend upon him. You have to trust in him. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth 
whosoever believeth. That's it. There's nothing added to that, is there? That whosoever, whosoever believeth and gets baptized. Whosoever believeth and tithes really well. Whosoever believeth and is a cowboy fan. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you're here today and, you're, and you've never trusted Christ, today is the day. The next few words, some of the most beautiful words of any hymn I've ever read, chains shall he break. Oh, man. Have you ever felt like you're in chains? Maybe if you, if you pay attention enough to the bondage of sin, you'll, fi- you'll find yourself in chains. But he wasn't just talking about that. You know, there's a, there's, this hymn actually has a pretty fascinating story. It's, uh, it begins in France, believe it or not. There's something that someone that was French did that was good, besides the Statue of Liberty. It begins in France with a talented poet uh, named Placide Capot. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but he's dead, so he doesn't care. And he was commissioned by a parish priest to write a poem for an upcoming Christmas Mass. And uh, while Capot, by all accounts, not a Christian, uh, while he was not a Christian, he did have some very strong feelings about slavery. He was an abolitionist. And so this abolitionist penned a a beautiful poem. It, It doesn't look, of course, it's in French, and the direct translation doesn't translate directly like this. We'll talk a little bit about that. But this hymn was then put to music by a composer named Adams. And for many years, actually, this, this hymn was rejected by the Catholic Church because, you know, Capot, who wasn't a believer, had some other things he emphasized in the text. But then this song made it to America. And it saw a revival. And I think it's been a, well, it's, a, it's one of the Christmas carols, isn't it? You know, there's, there's a few of those that are just, you can't do without, and this is one of them. It came to America in 1855 from a minister named John Sullivan Dwight, who was another staunch abolitionist. And he translated it into English for the use of Amer- in America. But this idea, chains shall he break for the slave is our brother, that comes directly from Scripture, and that was a massive paradigm shift that Christ brought. Y'all know uh, Philemon, right? Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter by the way, so it's going to be easy to find if you went there. Philemon 1, 15. Philemon is a a letter written from Paul to a guy who was a fellow Christian friend of his. And Paul had been traveling and he ran into Philemon's runaway slave servant named Onesimus. And this runaway slave, he was was in in, in, uh, a... rebellion against his master Philemon. And, and, and of course, if he'd been caught and, and, and turned in, he would have received severe punishment and judgment. But Paul, instead of turning him in when they ran into each other, Paul shared with him Christ. And Onesimus became a Christian. He trusted in Christ. He became a brother. And Paul told Onesimus, he said, man, you need to go back home. And straighten things out with your, with your master Philemon. Now this isn't because uh, the Bible condones slavery, much to the opposite. And that sermon is not about that. But look at what he writes. He says about Onesimus, For he, perhaps he therefore departed for a season, but that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, 
You're not going to receive him forever as a, as a servant or a slave, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and now in the Lord. Now listen, this comes directly out of Scripture. And then it says, in, in his name shall all oppression cease. So this is more than just about slavery. This is about seeing others as Christ sees them. Uh, remember when we talked about how the soul felt its worth and the, the price that Jesus paid for all uh, sinners born again and not? Listen, Christ sees tremendous value in every individual. And, and, and regardless of how different they are from us, whether they have a different uh, religion or a different the practice of Christianity, whether they have a different political view, whether they have different moral views. And, and we see that tremendously. And us as, uh, I think, very conservative, mostly very conservative Christians in here, we see that in our world and we are disgusted. And, we're, and you know what happens? The devil wants to take that and use it against us and it turns into anger and spite and, and hurtfulness. And, and we see that these morals, uh, that uh, this immorality, these sins have been turned into virtues. And we go, that's disgusting. I hate those people. I wish they would stop. But what, what, is, what, is, his, what is his law? His law is love. Listen, no sinner should feel oppression because of us. It should cease. We should love them. Uh, that doesn't mean we have to condone them uh, and, 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 and uh, support what they're doing and their sinful acts and attitudes. No, we should do what Paul did to Onesimus. Onesimus, who was this rebellious servant. And instead of uh, uh, just immediately casting upon them judgment, we should share with them Christ, the hope of salvation. In his name shall all oppression cease. I'm at this part where it says conclusion. Man, no amens. Y'all must be enjoying this. Probably not. Get out of your sleep. It's okay. The song tells a story. The song introduces new paradigms. And this song calls us to worship him. Maybe you're here this morning. And uh, maybe you feel like Cindy, uh, uh, oh goodness, Cindy Lou Who. How many of y'all know who Cindy Lou Who is? Uh, last night we watched The Grinch That Stole Christmas, the 2000 live action with Jim Carrey. You may not like it, but we like it. It's okay. And of course, uh, Cindy Lou Who has a much bigger part in the book. She's just a little two-year-old Cindy Lou Who. But in the movie, she's about eight or ten years old. And, and Cindy Lou Who, what is she trying to figure out? Why She's confused. She's trying to figure out what Christmas is all about. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get what all the, all the lights and all, this, all the parties and all the presents and all the hustle and bustle is about. She's confused. If you've never seen that movie, it does follow the book pretty well. And I brought, I brought the book. And I'll share with you how it ends. So if you've never seen it or read it, uh, spoiler alert, okay? That's a spoiler alert to me. There you go. The Grinch also learns about what Christmas, that Christmas has, a, they, maybe he can have a different view of Christmas. You know, what, it, what had the Grinch done? He had, he had tried to steal Christmas from the, Who's, uh, from the people of Whoville. He'd stole all their stuff and he expected in the morning to hear them all wailing and crying and angry and upset. 
And instead, what did he hear? He heard them worshiping, singing. And it says, And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? He says, It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. And then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't thought of before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Let me tell you, Christmas does mean a whole lot more than anything that comes from a store, unless you're buying a Bible, okay? It's about the birth of our Savior. People want to argue about when, another little rabbit trail, people like to argue about when Jesus was born. Oh, it wasn't during December. Let me tell you, those people don't even know what they're talking about. They just, they just want to make up something so they can fight Christmas and Christianity. But Christians have been observing Christmas, the birth of Christ, the advent, the arrival of Christ on December 25th since at least the 4th century. I mean, we're talking hundreds, over a thousand years. So whether he was born on December the 25th or not, doesn't really matter. I had a, fin- I had a friend of mine growing up who was born on Christmas Day. His name was Bradley Gardner. He plays the drums in a worship band. He's pretty awesome. Bradley was born on December 25th, and he hated his birthday, so his parents, guess what they did? He would have a half birthday every summer, and he got to have a pool party like his friend Darren. We'd got to have a pool party, a birthday party. And um, it didn't really matter when his birthday was. We just celebrated that he was born. Listen, that's what Christmas is about. It's about, it's about celebrating the arrival of our Savior, God in the flesh, who'd come to, saved us, to save us from our sins. It's like what Penny read in Isaiah. It's like what was read uh, from Luke chapter 2 that the angels brought. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. This song calls us to worship him. Think about verse 1. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. O night divine when Christ was born. Or verse 3. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise me. You know what a chorus is, right? Can you sing a chorus by yourself? I mean, if it's like a Bon Jovi song, you can sing the chorus, okay? But I'm t- a chorus is something we do together. In grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us, hey, all of you, all that is in you, praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this song, this beautiful hymn. I'll lead it, Eric.
hymn 148. We're going to sing the first and the third. And let's sing it in chorus together. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. For ill of hope, a weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh. God for Jesus Christ. I pray that today is a wonderful day of worship for you. As you exchange gifts, as you try to find if your meatloaf turned out okay, I pray it's great, and I pray today is a day of worship for you.